I'm Otis Redding Rainbow. And I'm the Crocodile from Crocodile Rock. And welcome to Planet of the Meerkats. So Neil, I was I was thumbing through iTunes today, yeah, and because uh, I have iTunes and Spotify, and there's been a lot there's a lot of content. Elton John, Sir Elton John's generating a lot of content. Mm-hmm. He's doing interviews. He has an album coming out where he like uh, collaborates with a bunch of people. And I was wondering, do you think it's possible to get a knighthood from podcasting? Like, how popular <laughs> would our podcast have to be to transcend into Great Britain and earn a knighthood? Well, I think we got to get more than like three listeners, like more than our two moms. <laughs> and Lacey. My sister-in-law, Lacey, also, I think is is pretty committed to this podcast. You know, more than three would be good. Maybe six. <laughs> I don't know. Is there like, are there guidelines for a knighthood? Maybe I don't know. We, we should, should start the application process now. We should burn this all onto a reel to reel and send it to the, the queen so yeah. she can listen to it. <laughs> You think she's got a nice vintage setup? We probably should etch it into a record. I bet you she has a nice mm-hmm. record player. Mm-hmm. Totally. We can get it pressed. All our episodes, <laughs> episodes one one through eight on side A, uh, eight through 16 on side B. Maybe it's a two LP. I don't know. We'll nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I saw this week that it's the 30th anniversary of some huge, big albums from our youth. Nirvana, Nevermind, mm-hmm. turn 30. Blood Sugar Sex Magic by the Red Hot Chili Peppers turned 30. Did that come out? Um, okay, wow. Yeah, those came out on the same day. Uh, also, Tribe Called Quest, Low End Theory came out. Wow, that, that's an amazing day. Pixies, <laughs> Trump, Trump Lamont came out. Uh, huge day for record releases 30 years ago. I remember going to a party in junior high, and they were they had Nevermind on. And I saw the cover, and it was that little baby with his, his yeah. baby wing. And I was just really scandalized. I was like, oh, man, that's like that's some hardcore shit right there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's hilarious that, that that baby now as a grown man is suing Nirvana for that cover. Did you see yeah. that? <laughs> it's, it's not like, like anyone would know it was him. <laughs> he's just run out of money. I yeah. mean, I think it's just a cynical ploy to make money, which is really <laughs> sad to me. I can't imagine that lawsuit's going anywhere. But who knows? Yeah. I'm not a lawyer. I feel like it's one of those things where he's hoping they'll just settle. They're like, here's fifty thousand dollars and get it out of my face. Yeah, and he can he can try again in a few years after he's blown all that money. So I guess we should talk about what we're talking about. Yes, we're doing like a review roundup of things that we've recently consumed and enjoyed. Yes. So I think I'm going to talk mostly about movies and TV shows, but you've got a few books lined up. So I, I read, I just read this novel and I'm super excited about it. And I'm kind of amazed that this novel hasn't gotten more traction because it's really good. And so I wanted mm-hmm. to kind of share it on my, uh, on my, my podium for what it is. And uh, so the, the book's called XX, a novel. Mm-hmm. It's by a guy named Ryan Hughes. And the setup for the novel is there's like this information dense signal that arrives on earth from deep space. And then right after that, there's this mysterious object that uh, completely blows through a moon of uh, Saturn and then ends up crash landing on the, the dark side of the moon. And then also there's conscious memes living in the internet. 
and uh, mm -hmm. terrifying elder gods are watching us from deep space. I mean, XX, it sounds like a porno, right? Where the yeah. author was too busy uh, to hit the X key a third time. But really, it's really good science fiction, uh, mm -hmm. like hard science fiction, big mm -hmm. ideas, innovative. And surprisingly, for like a thousand page brick of a new novel, like I couldn't put it down. Really? Um, and, uh, you know, despite my talk of like Elder Gods and memes and stuff, this is really mm -hmm. a hard science book through and through. Uh, now, can you go in more into the, the meme part of this without, you know, spoiling too much of the plot? Yeah, like the main character is this guy, Jack Fenwick, and he's a computer programmer. Um, he co he's co-founding a tech startup in London and, uh, he, when the signal comes in, the government, the U S government consults with him because he has kind of this interesting way of seeing things. He can see patterns in data. Mm -hmm. And, um, so he builds this little, it's almost like a firewalled off bit of the internet to try and see what this data actually is. And in the process, he isolates these ideas on the internet that have been kind of floating around and in in the book the basic it, it subscribes to the theory of an intelligence and consciousness being something that's just sufficient sufficiently complex so it's sort of the theory that if if you had enough data in one place that data would eventually start to coalesce into a consciousness mm -hmm. and uh through his little box that he built in the internet he's able to communicate with this guy called the 19th count which is sort of the 19th century xx which is the 20th century and girl 21 that's the 21st century and uh and it's also it's, it sounds weird but it's really well done and one of the interesting ways they communicate because this this guy ryan hughes he has a background in typography and like mm -hmm. numbers and typefaces and things and the the way these guys communicate their inflection the level of their speech isn't necessarily audible it's done through typefaces and so like when somebody's yelling like the fonts are all big and and uh like xx is really obnoxious because he's almost like this brutalist representation of uh the 20th century and you know he's able to kind of consult with these these entities that have they've always been in the internet like sort of always been in the culture, but uh, what he did has kind of allowed them to coalesce into something that could communicate. Mm -hmm. And the story's really interesting, right? It's told through Wikipedia entries, globs of binary tweets. Um, and there's even a novel within a novel. <laughs> what do you call that style of fiction where it's, it's presented at, as like this pastiche of different communication methods. It, it reminds me a lot of, um, Oh, what is the book I'm thinking of? Um, is it Everything is Illuminated, I think, is also kind of like that? Yeah. Bit. There, I feel like stylistically it was kind of popular, you know, in the early 2000s. But is there a name for that type of work? You know, I don't know. I'm sure there probably is. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, this is sort of Everything is Illuminated turned up to 11. I mean, it's... Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes the, the fonts get pretty obnoxious, but... Mm -hmm the you know those are mainly in the service of these memes come to life and you can kind of get the gist after a bit and skip a skip a little while <laughs> man i as a designer I, I i really love this idea that typography can communicate beyond just the visual and it yeah. has this sort of inherent you know communication possibility to it yeah um i think with our memes that's only really been touched on you know through irony 
you know mm -hmm. the idea that like you know obviously like comic sans is the one mm -hmm. that stands out that's very played out to like you know dunk on comic sans or you know <laughs> it i think impact is the font that is kind of like the meme font mm -hmm. it was like the standard meme font and then you know papyrus i think also was kind of in that category of it was initially mostly dunked on and now has come to be kind of embraced. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I see it used a lot in like serious graphic design now in this ironic way. Um, but I think that there is, there is this power, obviously like typography is this is a visual language and, and it's really powerful in getting us to like understand things and mm -hmm. to take certain actions. But the idea that it could be used beyond that, that there are like inherent parts of the way that type is designed that could, that could communicate beyond the visual component is really interesting to me. Yeah. I, I want to read it just for that. <laughs> and yeah, the book feels like uh, Neil Stevenson by a way of a font nerd. It's <laughs> amazing. That's so awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I really enjoyed it. Like I, it gets my highest recommendation and uh, I'm, kind of sad that this book isn't more well known and after i finished it i went and found they had a second book that just came out but it's only being distributed in the uk so i mm -hmm. ordered it from amazon uk so it'll be here eventually <laughs> nice that's a good one okay the thing i i was gonna recommend is this apple plus series called 1971 and <laughs> it's, it's kind of this it's an eight-part documentary about the music of 1971 but it's also about the culture and kind of how music and culture intertwined in this really tumultuous year. And crazy enough, that's like 50 years ago now. It's 50 years. And I think part of the reason why it is kind of on the consciousness right now is that some of the uh, Carol King craft work, God, who else? There's a couple other artists from that released, you know, landmark albums in that year getting uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. And I should say I'm not fully done with the series yet. I think I've watched six out of the eight episodes. Mm. So th this is part of me that feels like it's in service to the, you know, the the larger project of boomers, um, you know, enhancing their own reputations <laughs> and looking back and being like, this year was more important than all the other years. Yeah. But when you look at what happened that year, it really was incredible. You had like Marvin Gaye released What's Going On. Mm -hmm. uh, Sly and the Family Stone released There's a Riot Going On. Rolling Stones, Sticky Fingers, you had uh, Bowie released Hunky Dory, Carole King released Tapestry, Elton John released his debut album. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But well, John Lennon it, released Imagine. I mean, it's just like incredible how much amazing music was released that year. You can say what you will about the generation, but the uh, the music that came out of that generation, some of it mm -hmm. was just incredible. And the albums you listed, I can't believe they all came out the same year. What I thought was fascinating about this particular documentary it has a lot of like archival footage that, you know, if you watch a lot of music documentaries, you may have seen some of it, but there was a lot of it that I hadn't seen. Mm -hmm. They had some video of uh, the first Glastonbury Festival in England and Bowie was playing Changes for the first time and his set was at 5 a.m. And so he was, <laughs> he was debuting Changes, like playing it on electric piano. Um and everyone was still asleep and <laughs> it was just like, he wasn't really famous yet. So yeah. it was kind of, it was kind of incredible to like see that and realize that, um, I don't know, for me, it's like, there's this sort of, all of these artists are like canonical, like they're, they're, they were always great to us because we grew up and they were always famous, but 
it's just hard to imagine that there was a time where some of these artists weren't famous yet. Yeah. And that they were that they were striving and and really creating under these conditions where it was kind of make or break. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, everybody has the 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 points but the point before they click, right? Where they're still mm -hmm. exploring who they are and Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, some things feel like they just come fully formed out of nowhere, but mm -hmm. totally. One thing that I found really interesting is like in 1971 like um T-Rex was a huge band. Mark Bolin, the the you know frontman of T-Rex, was like this ascendant kind of star and kind of kickstarted the whole glam rock movement. And if you're sitting in 1971 thinking like who's going to be the biggest like new British star, like Mark Bolin would have probably been your your choice. Like he was just like a complete revelation, and people were just like losing their shit over over T-Rex. And like they went yeah. on to make some good albums, and then you know I think he died really young. Mm -hmm. but Bowie was like a non-factor right and now you look back on that time and like unquestionably Bowie was like the guy from glam rock who transcended and became you know uber megastar oh, yeah. um, but it's just yeah it's just funny seeing it in that like at the time no one would have guessed right so <laughs> anyway I recommend it it's on Apple Plus if you watch Apple Plus yeah I have Apple Plus I'll check that out so what? the sec the second thing I wanted to talk about so I discovered this this thing called Webtoons, mm -hmm. and it's the this platform for um, essentially comics optimized for viewing on a phone. Nice. So they have they have some stuff on there. Uh, there's like a there's a Batman one that's sort of like a slice of life in the Batman family, but there's one that caught both me and my daughter Abigail's eye. It's called Everything Is Fine, and <clears throat> for some reason, so it's about like this couple, and for some reason. They and everybody in their neighborhood wears cat masks and they sort of, uh, it starts off. It's like, everybody's sort of feels, it feels like they're being, uh, like overly vanilla kind of step Stepford wives ish. Mm -hmm. Um, but as the, the comic goes on, it kind of reveals itself. Like you still don't quite know what's going on. It's right at the end of its first season, but it feels like they might be in some sort of sci-fi dystopia mm -hmm. and their kids are being held hostage. And, you know, it's just, I, I, I really enjoyed it. It's, it, there's only about 30 instances of it. I'm not quite sure what they call them. Issues, episodes, I don't know. Um, but I would, I would highly recommend it. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed reading it. So is, is there a new one released every week? Like kind of like your tr traditional comic? Yeah. Yeah. And they split, they just recently said that this is going to be the end of season one. So I think the end is of season one is coming and it feels mm -hmm. like there's a big revelation that's probably going to come. Does Abigail read a lot of traditional comics? No, she's not actually very much into comics. I'm I'm more way more into comics than she is. I've tried to get her get her to read that stuff, and um, she'd much rather read a, a novel. But Abigail's been real interested in, despite the fact she doesn't read a lot of comics, she's been mm -hmm. interested in the medium as a creator, and she's been kind mm -hmm. of putting together this narrative. Like all the characters are sort of these deep concepts, like God and fear and good and bad and evil mm -hmm. and chaos and she she one of the first things she did was sort of visually design all these i'm like well you should mm -hmm. look into a medium like this where you can draw your pictures and deliver it that way right mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. uh, so i think she's thinking about that she really wants an ipad with a apple pencil so she yeah. can illustrate right on i think you you told me she was using procreate on mobile right yeah yeah i mean just seeing what she's been able to create just on that sort of light version of procreate is pretty amazing for yeah. someone so young that would be 
cool to sort of nurture that in her and guide her more towards this being a real vehicle of creativity. <laughs> my my only thing is she goes dark real fast. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like sometimes the stuff she writes is so bleak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, that's kind of, um, you know, that's not uncommon for preteen. That's I mean, true. She's, that's true. she's, she's right there in the great, um, the great tradition of te- preteens and teenagers being, you know, very, very, very dark and yeah. wallowing uh, in that. And that's how they, that's how they process and figure it out, you know? And it's my fault. I watched scary movies with her and have yeah. introduced her to things like Cthulhu and stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, you have definitely nurtured that in her. So <laughs> you reap what you sow, Dave. <laughs> but but she's a pretty good storyteller. So I could think if if you know she invested some time, she could definitely mm-hmm. uh, make it to that level. What would if if um if the internet had been like a real sort of option for publishing when when you were younger? Do you think you would have? sort of gone down that route because you were you really were kind of looking at different storytelling you were a budding graphic designer and yeah. you know we both wrote um what yeah what would you have done had that been like a, a real avenue to take i think what i've discovered about, my, about myself is i'm a good writer i'm a great writer i think but i'm not a good writer of fiction <laughs> interesting um like i've written some things and i go back and look at them and it's just it's real trite and like the the like mechanically they're fine but yeah you know it's not something that i think anybody do want to read so i think i'm if i were to write something it'd be much more uh in the vein of like technical writing or mm-hmm. uh sort of uh essay type things could um, you see yourself ever writing like a nonfiction book like going deep on a subject almost yeah, like a historical nonfiction? I, I i could um i feel like i don't know enough about anything at this point to do that but um, I've often thought this project I'm on, it's such a big project. And if it's able to go well, it would be good to buy build, Even if it's not a novel, like maybe just an article kind mm-hmm. of reflecting on the process. Because I feel mm-hmm. as if this is, as, I mean, for those who don't know, we're implementing a new student information system uh, on campus, which is a huge project. And... I've seen it fail on other campuses. <laughs> it's it's just it's very difficult, and you know we have a, a great team, and uh, you know if we're able to be successful, I think it'd be interesting to have a retrospective. I think it would be helpful for a lot of people mm-hmm. to kind of see where we made our mistakes and mm-hmm. um, you know where our successes were. Interesting technical writing. Writing is hard. <laughs> it definitely. I mean. I went to journalism school and I never actually worked as a writer because I was like, Hey, wait a minute. Designing is easier. <laughs> so I feel you on that. All right. My, my second recommendation is the 1996 movie demolition man. <laughs> nice. Uh, I haven't seen that in years. So it was leaving HBO max. And I was like, well, why not watch this? Let's just see where this goes. And uh, I remember being like really into this movie when I was a teenager and mostly just joking around about the three seashells. Yeah. Uh, for those who haven't seen <laughs> this fine piece of cinema, the premise is that Sylvester Stallone is a cop who has a reputation for, you know, going in and, and saving hostages and saving the day. But the collateral damage is that he usually like demolishes the building. Wesley Snipes plays this, this Uber villain called Simon Phoenix. And in the Which, process what of a name, right? I know Simon Phoenix. I mean, Wesley Snipes is, is really great in this movie. Honestly. I mean, it's over the top, but like mm-hmm. he's very compelling. 
Sylvester Stallone's character, who <laughs> I'm blanking on his name now, but it's like it's like John Spartan or something like that. I think you know, he, right. he ends up yeah. he ends up getting arrested because he blows up this building. They're supposedly killing all of these hostages uh, in service of arresting Simon Phoenix. In any case, <laughs> they both get frozen in a cryo prison. <laughs> and they wake up, they wake up in like the year 2032 or something like that. And society is completely transformed and everything is like very peaceful. And there hasn't been a murder in 20 years. And uh, it's just this, like, you see this, the society that on the surface seems idyllic, but, but you know that there's something, mm-hmm. uh, there's something bad afoot. Aren't all um, restaurants Taco Bells? All restaurants are Taco Bells and they're all, it's like, they're very high end. Um, and anyway, I don't even know where I'm going with this other than to say that, uh, the, oh, the three seashells, that's right. (laughs) In the future, there's no toilet paper and people only use this, the system of three seashells to somehow clean their butts, but it's never really explained what it is. But as a teenager, I was like, oh, that's hilarious. Uh, (laughs) the joke is like less funny as an adult, but, um, you know, the part that really hit me as an adult is the, the idea of the sort of class struggle. Mm Mm-hmm. And how uh, you can you can see in the future that we could paper over that class struggle and the inequality by simply getting rid of the undesirables. And Mm -hmm. for someone living in California in the year 2021, it's like grappling with our problem, our homeless problem and our housing Mm -hmm. problem. And it's like, wow, this is demolition man was pretty prescient. (laughs) Like, like we're, we're not that far away from essentially like forcing everybody underground so we don't have to see them anymore. Yeah. And just pr- pretending that things are okay, it hit in a different way in in the year 2021 as opposed to the year 1996, where this seemed like fiction, and now it seems like fact. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen? There's a video that's been going around the internet of these two people, and it's like a planter on the middle of the sidewalk in New York, mm-hmm. and there's this little hole on the side of the planter. And these two people climb out of the hole and like one of them is really well dressed. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just struck me as like, there's people living underground, <laughs> like literally living. underground. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and there's, there's been, this is obviously like not a new issue. Right. And there's uh, a famous documentary about, you know, looking at the hidden spaces in New York that are underground where people have whole societies. Mm-hmm. Right. And we just don't even think about it. Like babies are born. Yeah, like stories underground and don't see the light of day when they're children. And yeah, getting back to the 1971 doctor documentary for a minute, there's a whole section on revolution. You know, Black Panther Party, the whole like Attica prison riot that happened in 1971, and there was this idea of like, you know, needing to have a revolution in the way that we even treat our people that are in prison because it was pretty barbaric, and yeah, you know, it still is, still is, yeah. Uh, and um, I don't know, it made me think today, like. Where's the call for revolution? I think it's it's sort of politically fraught in California because it's like, hey, we're a blue state, like mm. we're doing things the right way here, but we do have a, a big problem mm. and no one knows how to fix it. And what's it gonna what's it gonna take to fix it, right? Like, are we just gonna tweet about it or are people gonna do something about it? I don't know. I don't wanna veer into the political here, but um <laughs> I don't know. A demolition man made me think about some some big problems, Dave. <laughs> Which I just got to say, you know, they knew how to name characters back then, right? Right. Um, 
I, the other day I was flipping, well, as much as you flip through channels, I was flipping through streaming services and saw the movie Commando. And it reminded me the name of Arnold Schwarzenegger's movie and <laughs> name, the name of Arnold Schwarzenegger's character in that is John Matrix. It's <laughs> <laughs> incredible. <laughs> oh man. That's amazing. I think we got to, I think we got to do a, a proper matrix roundup before the new matrix comes out. I have, I have a lot of thought thoughts on the trilogy, uh, but <laughs> it's too much for today. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I read a, a re sort of a recap of the the three movies, and there's a lot that happens in two and three that I just don't remember at all. What's your next recommendation, Dave? So I read this book. It's a nonfiction book called Time of the Magicians, mm-hmm. and it's a survey sort of biography of uh, four different philosophers: Wittgenstein, Walter Benjamin, uh, Ernst Cassirer, and uh, Heidegger, and I listen. I listened to the audiobook, and you know, I just I really liked it. But there's a, a something that there's a, a a bit that I wanted to convey that I just thought was like the ultimate baller move. Okay, so let me set the scene. <laughs> Cambridge, 1929. This dude shows up. He's been a school teacher uh, for a decade until very recently, and he walks into his dissertation defense for a PhD in philosophy. Which, for me, that kind of seems like the ultimate PhD, right? The philosophy yeah. of philosophy, like whoa! Yeah. All right, his committee includes uh, philosophers Bertrand Russell and G. E. Moore. Wow! Uh, he gives his defense, and that you know they question him aggressively. And after he's all done, his parting lines to his committee before he walks out of the room are, "Don't worry, I know you'll never understand it." Oh shit! <laughs> like, Mic drop. Talk about swagger, right? So yeah. this is this is Ludwig Wittgenstein, and uh, he had been uh, like this, a scion of this huge, really rich German family, and had abandoned his studies to go be an artillery spotter in World War One, given up all his wealth, and decided he wanted to work for a living. So he he'd like he'd become a teacher, and mm-hmm. so now he was reentering academia with like the biggest mic drop imaginable. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so like it, it was it was an interesting book like if you've ever ever had an interest in philosophy but you've been turned off when you like open a philosopher's book and it's just been impenetrable mm-hmm. like this was this was a good kind of synthesis going through some pretty some pretty heady stuff in a way that i thought was understandable i feel like with philosophy you really do need to have that approach to it in some sense unless unless you're going to actually study it in an academic yeah. way you need it to be tied to to real stories of real people and real applications or else it's just kind of like over the head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, I'm by no means an expert on these guys now, but I did thoroughly enjoy Mm. the book. Nice. Did you take a lot of philosophy in college? I seem to remember that you did. Yeah. I took uh, like political science philosophy. I really enjoyed Mm. those classes. I enjoyed Mm. them too, because especially going through, like political science, they all sort of would be joined by these ideas. And so you could trace, trace the thought pretty easily from one point, to, I don't want to say easily, but trace the thought from one point to the next mm-hmm. and, and make connections. And I found it, I found it really fascinating. So like your Hobbes and your Rousseau. And yeah. Your, Hobbes, uh, Rousseau, Marx. Yeah. 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 And it's always funny to me when somebody who doesn't know anything about like political science hears that you read <laughs> about Marx. And like their head explodes and it's like, well, Marx was more than just, you know, what you know, right? He was yeah. actually a really important thinker about like his philosophy of history and, you know, the way he thought society evolves. My friend Scott is having his 40th birthday party in about a month or so. And we were talking themes and we were like, at some point it was like, let's do a communist party. 
Um, <laughs> so then everyone was like choosing their their communists. And me, the other day, like we this topic came up again, and I started. This other guy was like, "I'm gonna be um, Che Guevara," and I was like, "No, I already called Che Guevara last time." And he's like, "Fine, I'm gonna be AOC." And I was like, Good call. <laughs> Oh, what are your thoughts on AOC's dress where she wrote, she wore the dress that said tax the rich to the, the, was it the Met Gala? Yeah. I don't know. I'm fine with it. I I think, I think it's like, I don't know. I don't know where I fall on AOC these days. There's, there's something where I just can't, I can't tell like how performative all of this is versus how Mm -hmm. genuine it is. Like the crying, the vote over Iron Dome. And, and I, I don't know. I honestly have not been following politics very closely because it just, it all feels so. I just feel like we we're at this point where everything is so dadaist, like it's so absurd. Yeah. That, like, what are what are we what are we all even? What sides are we all on, and what do we want? Like, I feel like there are no clear objectives anymore with mm-hmm. anybody. It's all just performative show, and and I I'm I feel completely checked out. <laughs> you know, I honestly I've been thinking a lot lately about cults of personality. And mm-hmm. I think two of the biggest ones right now are Donald Trump and then the other one being Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, and, and it, so this kind of links back to Demolition Man, right? Mm-hmm. The future can only be saved by the, 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 the plain talking dude of yesterday who knew how to get things done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I really don't subscribe to that. Like, I think people, I think cults of personality are really houses of cards that are just poised to fall down. And at the end of the day, the people who get things done are the ones that work hard. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's teams of people that get things done. You know, Elon Musk, you know, he's, you know, smoking weed and, you know, making high level decisions. But the people who are designing his spacecraft, you know, those are the ones who are really moving companies like Tesla forward. And, you know, I don't know how that applies to Donald Trump because I don't really understand that whole movement. But, you know, I, I, I feel like we run a real danger when we invest ourselves in a singular person being led astray. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's no real replacement for hard work and, you know, really keeping your eyes open and trying to understand the world. I think the world is complex and people are just looking for a, a simple way to, like, align themselves and navigate it and you know it's just knowledge and truth are hard (laughs) and yeah i kind of don't blame people because it's it's all kind of too much sometimes you know i hear you yeah we were having this conversation the other day about investing (laughs) (laughs) boring 40 year old conversations and um it was just some friends who had previously invested in tesla and it's like whether tesla is actually a safe investment going forward because at this point their battery technology is really valuable, right? But like mm-hmm. every car company is going to have like a really effective, great electric vehicle and probably different electric vehicles in different formats at different price points within the next couple of years. And so what is Tesla's real competitive advantage? Like mm-hmm. I think right now it's the battery, but like 10 years down the line, it feels like Elon Musk in some ways is spreading himself too thin with a lot of the different things that he's doing and a lot of different ways that he's kind of like tanking his personal life (laughs) yeah it risks taking away what made the company special which is the accumulation of talent as you mentioned in the engineering ranks that gets this stuff done yeah i mean i think he would be smart to step back um Mm -hmm. and kind of 
you know, make himself less important and let the company speak for itself. I mean, I think the best thing that happened to Apple was to lose Steve Jobs for a while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it let itself kind of be built up without him and get some identity without him. And so then when he came back, he led it, but it wasn't just Steve Jobs, right? Yeah. So what, what what's Apple's problem now? I mean, I think they've hit a they've hit a ceiling. I mean, iPhones. Yeah, sure, we get a new iPhone every year, but the the actual improvements in usage mm-hmm. are very few. It's like, oh yeah, you know, the lenses are better now, better than ever now for a professional photographer. But mm-hmm. yeah, or um, you know, the battery life lasts. Well, the battery life in my iPhone 12 already lasts all day. I don't ever have to plug it plug it in during the day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the law of diminishing returns. I, I don't know what the emerging technology is that would would be the, their next step. I don't know if they know. They probably have some ideas, but mm-hmm. yeah, right now they're sort of in, and they're I doing think, better than ever before, right? Yeah, their market cap is like three trillion dollars. <laughs> until it's bro- until it's broken, they're probably not going to fix it. But I do think yeah. you run the risk of if you stop innovating. And, and, it, and then again, innovations don't have to be huge, right? They're innovating constantly. It's the, the problem is we don't see it because it's not a groundbreaking product like it once was. Yeah. But I think at some point, you know, you run the risk that there's another company that comes through with something that's way cooler and all of a sudden uh, you're in trouble. Well, I mean, I, I, there's, there's, you know, the, the glasses you can wear, the um, mm-hmm. augmented reality glasses you can wear, yeah. and there's the new bendable phones. Like none of that is as magical as the original iPhone. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. I had some smartphones before the iPhone, and when the iPhone came out, it, like it wasn't even the same league. Like the, mm-hmm. the, the iPhone was so, so much beyond expectations at the time i don't think anybody would have been like you know a screen this nice looking that's a touch screen in a package uh is is like sexy as the original iphone is and i just i have a hard time seeing something being that revolutionary again well we don't know with ar it might you know in two years someone might come out with an ar product that is like holy shit you know yeah. this is the this changes the world well and speaking of ar ar plays a big role in the novel xx by Ryan Hughes. <laughs> uh, Are you getting how... paid by Ryan Hughes? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is all for free. I just really loved this book. <laughs> but that's how they communicate with these memes and interact with the signal. Like, is they're able to plunk it into augmented reality and uh, use use that as a means of communication. I think of the, the, the likelihood is that that's going to be the next big innovative thing. But, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. I'm I'm just curious whether Apple will be the company to do it. I don't know. I don't really know what they're what they're doing in AR right now, like in uh, a big picture sense. You know, obviously Facebook is like investing hugely in it. Um, mm-hmm. Google has been in it for a, a while. So, which can I just know. say, screw Facebook. Like, I think the I world would be so much better place if Facebook just disappeared tomorrow. Agreed. <laughs> God. Okay, so for, my, for my last recommendation, Dave. I've been trying to get through most of the the neo noir collection on Criterion. Oh yeah, yeah. Now they released this a while back. I want to say they did it in June or July. Mm-hmm. So some of the films are already starting to drop off. So I'm trying to get through them, and they already just released a new collection, which is like NYC related films, which I really mm-hmm. really want to watch. So <laughs> I don't know how much longer I'm gonna be in the neo noir, but I've watched a few that are really great. I watched Blow Up, the Brian De Palma film from, and I want to say. 78 or 79 yeah it has a very young john travolta yeah and it also has um a young-ish john lithgow and the premise is basically that travolta is this like sound guy 
uh, and he's working on these sort of cheesy, you know, soft, kind of like soft porn videos. And he's out recording one day and he captures a, a car. He captures on audio a car driving off a bridge into the river. Um, and he jumps in and he manages to save one of the occupants. But one, the driver dies and the driver is a presidential candidate. Oh. And so then this whole conspiracy unravels. And it's actually it's really, really good. But the, the, the editing of it, I think, is really, really compelling. And there's a lot of really interesting things that are De Palma-esque. But, you know, because it's about the sound guy, like sound factors into it a lot in the way it's edited and the way it's shot. And I think it's just really, really a, a great movie. Have you seen Kiss Me Deadly? I haven't. That, I don't think that's not really neo-noir. That's like noir proper. But mm -hmm. I remember watching that movie. It was weird. It was a mm -hmm. Mike Hammer, Mickey Spillane film. Okay. Uh, and that, is that fifties? What year is that? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. It's black okay. and white. And I think it was black and white on purple on, uh, like, cause they didn't have a choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I think I, I'm really sad about Brian De Palma cause he's made some mm -hmm. fantastic movies and mm -hmm. like his output in later life has not been very good, but like, I really love the untouchables. The other two I want to I want to talk about. So the long goodbye, Robert Altman. So I've been getting into some Altman, and I really I'm really enjoying it. It was kind of a like a total blind spot for me. Like I'd never really gotten into Robert Altman. Yeah. And um, when I've been watching these movies, Emily's kind of peeking over my shoulder, and she's like, "I don't see the appeal of this movie at all," because they're very nat they're very naturalistic, and yeah. you know he's got a couple of his own signature moves. Like a lot of them, he does this thing where he kind of has these overlapping conversations. <laughs> and so characters are kind of moving through the scene and you're, you're hearing conversations. Maybe it's at a crowded bar and you're hearing different tables. And then those keep going while the central characters are talking. And it, it's, it's really, it's really unique and really interesting, but the, the movie as a whole can kind of feel in some sense, like you're just kind of walking through it. I would say <laughs> in some senses, it's kind of meditative. Um, it's based on the Raymond Chandler novel, which was, I believe, when was that published? And that uh, had Elliot Gould in it, right? It did, yeah. So The Long Goodbye is Raymond Ch Chandler novel published in 1953. So okay. uh, this version, which stars Elliot Gould, was done in 73. And so it's kind of updated for the sort of like degradation of the early 70s. But <laughs> El early, young Elliot Gould, I just, I love. Like, I I think he was just such a <laughs> sort of shambolic character uh, yeah. in that that he just kind of played himself in all of these movies. I've I've watched other Philip Marlowe movies, the mm -hmm. character he plays, and mm -hmm. I've always liked Raymond Chandler. And if you haven't watched a lot of Altman, the the other movie that was on Criterion, I don't don't know if it's still there, was California Split, which okay. also stars Elliot Gould uh, as okay. well as Robert Siegel. And it's I would even call that even more naturalistic. It just kind of. I don't know. It, the the movie, in some senses, you're kind of like, what is this movie even about? <laughs> um, but but somehow it's very, it's still very alluring. Well, um, re realistic feeling dialogue, I think, is really hard to do. I was yeah. watching The Big Lebowski the other day and just kind of in awe of some of the moments in that movie where people were talking and, you know, a lot of the conversations are very, like, clipped and sort of half thoughts. But it mm -hmm. works and you know exactly what people are talking about. Anymore, I, I, I think I, I find myself paying more attention to dialogue. I think that's originally what put me off things like Gilmore Girls and the movie Juno is the yeah. dialogue in those movies is very stilted and mm -hmm. like didn't doesn't sound like real people. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. The last one I wanted to recommend was The American Friend by Wim Wenders or Them Vendors. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've been I've been watching some a lot of his movies lately, and I think it'd be cool for us to kind of do an episode where we both watch some of these films and talk about them a little deeper. Yeah. The American Friend stars uh, Bruno Ganz as the main character, and then um, Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper wow. is the American Friend, and he's an American living in in Hamburg, Germany, and he's there selling fraudulent paintings. So he's got a he's got a connection in New York. He goes to this guy who creates these fraudulent paintings, and then he goes to Germany and sells them for millions of dollars. Bruno Ganz is kind of a you know art expert slash framer, and he's he's dying of a blood disease. And so Hopper convinces him to become an assassin. Uh, and it's, it's, it's really, it's really an interesting movie. Uh, now is Hopper, so, I don't quite understand the connect. Why would Hopper want him to be an assassin? Is Hopper in the CIA or something? No, there's a, he's kind of involved in some, some sort of underground mob situation, uh, but yeah, okay. there's, there's sort of this part of it is, um, you know, it's one of those like Joe versus the volcano things where the main character is like, not as sick as everyone around him is trying to make it out to be because they're all kind of using him. Um, <laughs> it's kind of that situation, right? Yeah. So um, nice. Joe versus yeah. the volcano. Classic Hanks. Total classic Hanks. I, I have actually, that movie has come up like a lot recently. The other night, the moon here, we had this harvest moon that was such a Joe versus the volcano moon. And <laughs> we should just uh, change the name from harvest moon to Joe, Joe versus yeah. the volcano moon. <laughs> Yeah. So what what do you, what should we do next week, Dave? Uh, I think we talked about candy. Are we gonna like bring our daughters on and have them talk about their favorite candies? We should. I mean, it would be a crazy conversation. I asked Marla the other day what her favorite candy was, and she was trying to convince me that chocolate is candy. And I think this is a, this chocolate real... candy. I don't know. This is kind of a philosophical thing, right? Like, is chocolate candy? Because I consider candy to be like a a more like refined sugar product, and not necessarily chocolate. Which, depending on its format, could be candy, but isn't necessarily candy. But I think we should talk about this. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think a lot of what we think of as chocolate is not really chocolate, right? Exactly. A Hershey so bar is, is like sugar with some chocolate in it. <laughs> yeah. So like a real chocolate, like a, you know, like a dark chocolate, you know, 70% cacao bar is probably not candy. But mm -hmm. we're going to figure this out next week. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. I am Otis Redding Rainbow. And I'm the crocodile from Crocodile Rock. And thank you for joining us today on the planet of the meerkats. La, 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 la. Okay, that's enough. The Meerkats are David Garrison and Neil Freeze. Our theme song is by the one and only Tawny Frogmouth. You can subscribe to Planet of the Meerkats wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll find links to all of our social accounts at planetofthemeerkats.com. We're trying to send a little old-fashioned positivity into your ears, so your support means a lot to us. Thanks for listening. <laughs>